six years ago now, somewhere in there, five, six years ago, uh, and is doing some really cool things uh, for the Lord and, and working with the Lord. Uh, he is able to come back. Toby Watson last week graduated with Cody, so we have a really neat and interesting class of young men who have gone through this place and, and uh, who continue to serve the Lord and love the Lord. So let's welcome Cody up to our pulpit this morning. Well, good morning. I think this is on. Yeah. Yeah, I graduated, I think, five years ago. Um, and I tell you what, standing in front of you, preaching at chapel would be the last place I think I would have been. Um, I was one of those dudes probably laughing during worship and not paying attention. And uh, I kind of thought I had my life figured out. I wanted to go home and farm and <laughs> that... That did not happen, uh, but God, God's doing cool things, and um, yeah, just learned a lot um, through, through how he's chosen to use me and grow me, and I'm excited to get to present the word today. Uh, Toby Watson was in my class. Uh, we're still really good friends to this day, and um, I believe he spoke last week, um, and I chatted with him over the phone, and yeah, we, as we were talking about this, we just think it's such a exciting thing that um, he might have had more of an idea than I would have, uh, but to be able to come back to where you graduated, where I played basketball in this gym and walked the same halls, and to preach God's word shows that it's not us, man. It's not us. God chooses to use us and sanctify us. Um, so what I'm currently up to, I graduated from University of Nebraska-Lincoln uh, last May with a degree in agricultural economics. Um, I will say that's not a wasted degree, even though I'm not doing that, uh, and I'll explain that in a little bit. I'm now full-time at Heritage Bible Church in Lincoln. Um, I'm the director of men's ministry and outreach and evangelism and missions. I've been loving that role. Uh, while I'm doing that, I'm in seminary, getting my master's in theology. Um, so just get poured into a lot and get to learn, and uh, it's a humbling thing for sure. Within that, why I love what I'm able to do right now is um, a couple years ago, uh, I felt God was calling me to something bigger than myself, and I won't go into that whole story, but started a nonprofit called Cultivate Global, you can check that out. There's a website, cultivateglobal.net. Um, it's been awesome. It's been awesome. The last the last year, I've been to Romania, and I've been to Tanzania twice. Um, I love going overseas now. Never thought I would. But the whole point of that is to assist and walk alongside people with the development of agriculture and education. And while I'm there, preaching the gospel. Um, preaching in mud huts and wherever I'm at. It's, again, something I never thought I'd be doing, but only by God's grace is that possible. Um, so that agricultural degree still comes in handy, and hopefully someday um, I will get to farm. But I tell people, even if I don't get a farm in this life, at some point in eternity I'll get a shot at it, right? Anyway, I need a volunteer. I want someone who's honest, who's going to give me straight answers, and I'm going to give you a couple scenarios and ask you a couple questions. 
these gentlemen over here look like they would shoot me straight. You look like a Brock. You've got to be a Brock. I think knowing your brother, you'll give me honest answers. Okay, so here's scenario number one. Imagine if just some average Joe walked in here, just really some nobody, or perhaps it's someone that you don't really like, maybe they've wronged you, or you're not very fond of. They walked in right up to you because they want to hear me preach, not that I'm not good, but they walk up right to you and they said, hey, where should I sit? Where are you going to tell them? If you're not really fond of them, you don't really know them, be honest, what are you going to do? Find an open seat, right? Like, solve your own problems. It's an honest answer. Okay. Now I'll ask you another question. Who's your favorite celebrity or who's someone like you look up to, you love them? Maybe it's music, an athlete. Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Okay, scenario two. Imagine Ryan Reynolds came in here, walked in here, the same exact thing, and he walked right up to you. What's your name, Josh, right? He said, Josh, I want to hear what he's saying. Where should I sit? Where are you going to tell him to sit? An open seat. Well, you're really honest. If I was you, I would say, hey, there's a seat right next to me, or perhaps, like, hey, I want to give you the best spot. I'll move. You can have my seat. That's what I would do. Um, but that was the most Brock answer I've heard. So thank you for being honest. But I'll use myself as an illustration. I would have done the exact same thing on scenario one. I would have just said, find an open seat. Go sit somewhere. Um, why are you talking to me? Scenario two, I'd been like, dude, pop a squat right here. If there's someone next to me, I'd be like, leave. He's sitting here, right? And so it's a person with the same intention, the same desire. Why would I treat him any differently, right? Well, you see them on a different level. Like I said, in both scenarios, it's a person that did the same thing with the same desire and the same intention, and you treat them differently. So let's look. Let's turn to James chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 13. Um, and here we will see James write to the church, commanding on biblical grounds to show no partiality. No partiality. We'll talk about more what that is. But to show no partiality by, one, holding the faith, and two, fulfilling the royal law. That's what our text shows us. I took that right out um, of chapter 2. I teach from the ESV. That's what I use. Um, so the words might be a little different. But before we go into that, it's essential to look at this text contextually. Which means before or after, look at the cultural, the historical setting. And because we're in chapter 2, you might be familiar with that already. But historically and culturally... James is a letter written to Jewish believers who had been dispersed, most likely following Stephen's martyrdom um, or after in, because of persecution. Now, Christianity is a relatively new term and concept at this time. 
it's it's really a new movement because Jesus had just come and now he's gone. Um, so James writes this gospel-centric letter to encourage and teach New Testament believers. Okay, so that's from a historical and cultural context. But I want to focus a little more on literal, from the literary context. Toby preached last week about hearing and doing the word. That's what comes right before it. Um, And after this text is titled, Faith Without Works is Dead. Now, when I looked at this, at first I was like, that doesn't make any sense. But I'll get to that. So understand that these titles are given by the editors and are not part of the original letters. Looking at the titles alone, the given titles alone, um, it may appear that my Bible calls it the sin of partiality, that that text is out of place, and it's sandwiched between two passages about action and doing, action and doing the word. In reality, after reading this and looking at this contextually um, with more depth, Altogether, it flows, and this text really is just a continuation of what Toby preached last week. It's just a continuation of doing the word, and it gives specific examples. And we'll look at that. So let's look a little deeper um, in James 1, 19 through 27, which is what was last week. There's a repetition of being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. In the end of that section, James gives an example of what religion is by both being a doer and a hearer of the word. And specific to that example, he lists um, visiting orphans and widows in their affliction and keeping oneself unstained from the world. Now, his point in making this is that true religion is simply doing the word of God. And this requires active obedience. Now, this theme continues into our text this morning. James gives another way of being a doer of the word, like I talked talked about. And he does this by commanding to show no partiality. So what is partiality? This can be interactive. If someone knows, hey, raise your hand, shoot it out. What is partiality? Talkative group. It's early in the morning. What do you think? Yeah, what do you think? Prejudice? Yeah. What's another word for partiality? Favor one side? Right, both of you are correct. Um, <clears throat> the definition I put down here is exalting someone strictly on the superficial external basis, such as appearance, race, wealth, rank, social status, intelligence, athleticism, and etc. Any superficial external basis, it's elevating or exalting one person over another. Now, we all do this, and we're all guilty of this. And I'm not afraid to call people out of this because I'll be the first to raise my hand and say, guilty. I do this every day. I do this every day. We all do, and it's something that the Lord will grow and sanctify us in. Your teachers do this. Your coaches do this. You do this. Your classmates do this. 
all of you. The illustration at the beginning was just to point that out. Now, now Josh didn't really play along what I wanted him to, so I just put myself in there. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Um, but partiality, that was the illustration at the beginning is you have Ryan Reynolds come in. It's like I want him to sit right by me. But why not that average Joe that walked in that I don't really know who he is or I don't really like him? So think about it that way. <clears throat> our text shows us that we can keep ourselves from partiality by being doers of the word. That's a common theme that I keep saying. And he shows us this in two different ways. One, it's in verse one of our text, holding the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And two is verse eight, fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture. Now, how might these two phrases be saying the exact same thing. We'll look at the text, study it. Look at the phrases, holding the faith in verse 1 and fulfilling the royal law in verse 8. Both are being a doer. And then in our Lord Jesus Christ and according to the scripture, both are the word. See, Christ and the word are interchangeable. If you look at John 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, He was with God. If you look at that, the Word and Jesus, it's interchangeable. So it's saying the same thing. And we keep using this phrase, but it's simply saying the phrases are implying be doers of the Word. Be doers of the Word. So it's just continuation from last week, and it's pointing out a specific example of partiality, exalting one person over another from a superficial external basis is not being a doer of the word. And this is the main point last week he was making, and still the main point today, but specifically like I talked about, it's in how to love your neighbor. So let's take a look at our text. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to break it down and teach it as we go. <clears throat> Look at James 2. That's where we're at. James 2, 1 through 13. In verse 1, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in him and through him, and he is our example for this because he did this perfectly. And then it gives us an example in verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Just like the illustration at the beginning, you got, you got this guy that they think high of. He's, I mean, he's dressed nice, he's all bougie, he's wearing a gold ring, which is not super popular at this time because that, that's high class. And then you got this bottom man, Joe, who walks in, shabby clothing, and you treat them different exalting one over another, and he's calling you out of that because that is partiality. 
Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Friends, we are not the judge. We are not the judge. So listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Those who are poor in the world, what does that mean? What does that mean? It's those who recognize they need Jesus. It's humility. It's a humble spirit. It's a humble heart. And God does that in us because naturally we're not that way. It's people that don't consistently exalt themselves or others over one another. And it's a fruit of a genuine believer. If you look at Matthew 5, there's a list. Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, the poor in spirit, the humble of heart, the humble in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It takes humility to come before a holy God. And only he can do that in us. So moving on in verse 6 and 7, but you have dishonored the poor man, are not the rich, the ones who oppress you, and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So you have those who are poor in the world, and now you have those who are rich in the world. Now there's some actual cultural context here we're not really going to dive into much. Um, but what does those who are rich in the world mean? Well, it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. It's those who don't recognize that they need Jesus. It's pride. It's the proud. You're proud in, in spirit. You're proud in your heart. Think Maybe you think that your good works or your favorable status, just who you are, is good enough and earns favor with God. Think of the Pharisees. They thought this way. They thought they're the religious elites. Partiality, they owned it. They didn't admit it, but I mean, it was all them. And it's all us, too, at times. Or perhaps, perhaps the rich in this world, it's people who just reject him completely and are persecutors of those who follow him. Persecutors of Christians. If you want to study that a little bit later and really look into context, I'm not going to go there, but I'll give you a reference. John 16, 2 through 4. Um, it's more of a cultural, contextual reference um, that you can study. But moving on to the second really point of fulfilling the law in Christ. In verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. We cannot fully fulfill this law. We cannot fully fulfill this law. And this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is taken straight from Leviticus 19.18. So even though we cannot fully fulfill this, Christ has, and he did, and he does. One little side note I want to make with this, um, just because I've heard it maybe used this way, taken out of context in our culture to defend maybe more progressive movements is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is not a promotion of self-love. This is not a promotion of self-love. This is That is clearly a sin taught 
in 2 Timothy 3, 2. Self-love. Rather, it's the opposite. It's not self-love. It's selflessness. Okay, it's rather to pursue meeting the physical health and spiritual well-being of one's neighbor with the same intensity and concern as one does naturally for oneself. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. You're going to eat. You're going to take care of yourself. You're going to clothe yourself. You're going to make sure you're taken care of, you're, you're well off. But it, to love your neighbor as yourself is really selflessness, to put them there first. <clears throat> so moving on, verse 9, James 2. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable or guilty for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act. Okay, that's in the beginning of those few verses. It's a call to action. Now, we all are transgressors of the law. We all are held accountable for breaking the whole law. Why? Because it's breaking the unity. It's disrupting the unity of the law. Even if, like it says here, you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you're held accountable for all of it. Okay, there's only one who has perfectly held the whole law. We must understand who we are when we come before the law. God shows no partiality. So those who show no mercy prove that they haven't really received God's mercy. That they don't really understand it because it should humble you and it shall flow through you. Again, going back to Matthew 5, this time verse 7. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I want to take a a little moment here, a good cross-reference. Um, I want to go to Romans 2. You can go there with me. Um, now, I spend a lot of time there, but I'm just going to read it, and I want you to hear the connections. And Paul, when he, he writes this, it really brings it all together, and it shows that we are transgressors of the whole law. God is the judge. And he shows no partiality in how he judges and how he loves. But let's just read it. Romans 2, 6 through 11. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. 
Now, does good, that doesn't earn you salvation, but it's proof of salvation. Being a doer of the word is showing genuine faith. And he very explicitly says here, those who are doers of the word, Christ covers them because he lived it perfectly. For those who are not, tribulation, all those big words, it's hell, eternal damnation, because God shows no partiality. So why show no partiality for us? Well, simply because we are to be imitators of the Lord, doers of the word. By the example of Jesus, by holding the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ and fulfilling the royal law of truly loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, again, not perfectly, but striving for. Not exalting one over another on such a superficial external basis for, again, like I said, we are not the judge. By believing and applying to all that the ground is truly level at the foot of the cross. We're all sinners. We're all in need of Christ equally. Acting as one who will be equally judged under the law. For the believer, one who hears and does the word is covered. Like it's talked about, covered by the blood of the lamb and receives mercy. So show mercy because you have been shown such a great mercy. Love your neighbor because you have been so loved. For the unbeliever, the one who is not a doer, who does not hold the faith and believe in Christ, receives, like we talked about, eternal death that we all deserve. But Christ covers it. Yet we as believers do not get the punishment we deserve of damnation eternally in hell because verse 13 mercy triumphs over judgment James 2 verse 13 mercy triumphs over judgment in Christ by living the law perfectly fulfilling it he offers that mercy because he's done it for us we're all on an equal playing field but for those who receive that he covers it And mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's the gospel. You hear it probably every day. I did when I was in your shoes. Bible class in the morning, men of vision. I heard there's apologetics class, which is awesome. So there's some new things. The gospel is being preached. And our only response should be humility. So that we love our neighbor and love God. Mercy and grace undeservedly given to the believer rather than the damnable judgment we deserve. Man, that's the gospel. Because Christ came in the flesh so that he may take the iniquity, so that he may take the punishment. I know I'll repeat myself, but it's because it's the gospel. We need it daily. The gospel is our motivation for loving our neighbor as ourselves. Rather than showing partiality and judgment. See, God, God is the righteous judge and shows no partiality. Like Romans 2.11 says, he shows no partiality. 
He shows no partiality in how he loves and how he judges. Aspire to do the same and see others as the Lord sees them. See, like I talked about, he shows no partiality in how he judges and how he loves because we're like we're all equal. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. But for those who are covered by the blood of Christ, they're covered. But without that, we're still sinners. We're still equal in need of him daily. And so aspire to do the same and love others and see others the way the Lord does. If you look at 1 Samuel 16, 7, he says, God is talking to Samuel here, and it says, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. Friends, look at the heart. Be doers of the word. Because failing to do so in this context by consistently showing partiality, judgment, exalting one over another is failing to follow Christ obediently. Like I talked about at the beginning, to be a doer of the word takes active obedience. Failing to show mercy and grace, and failing to follow Christ. And the person who fails to show mercy, Scripture says, will be judged with no mercy. In verse 13, and the one who shows mercy is proof. Genuine mercy that comes from the Lord is proof that they've received that from Christ, and they are covered. So don't look externally. Don't look externally because the issue is first in your own heart, in each one of our own hearts. You're no better than the person sitting to your right or sitting to your left or in front of you or whoever just jumped into your mind. You both need Jesus, both the believer and the unbeliever, both the athlete and the scholar, the male and female, the American, African, Asian, the ground is level. You're both equally in need of Jesus. Therefore, we have no reason to be partial. That's why that is a sin, because we have no reason to be partial if we truly believe the ground is level. So ask yourself, friends, do I judge people on a superficial basis? Well, in reality, the answer would be yes at times, but really, like, do you live that way? Is that, like, consistently who you are? Because, like I said, we are not the judge. So do you judge people on a superficial basis, or do you see what the Lord sees and look at the heart, a heart that Jesus longs for? So coaches, there's coaches in here. Genuine questions, ask yourself, are you consistently guilty of writing a player off or favoring one athlete over another because you feel they can offer to the team athletically more than someone else? 
failing to invest equally in that athlete that doesn't have as much potential and or isn't very athletic as you do with that first team all-conference stud. I'm guilty. Teachers, are you consistently guilty in a sense of having a teacher's bet, pet, showing favoritism in that sense, clearly showing to one student favoritism over another, maybe because school comes easier for them, they're a good student, or because they're more mature in the classroom? And students, are you consistently guilty of making someone feel left out? Being exclusive to your best friends or the cool kids or your group and ignoring someone who appears different is from a different country perhaps, a different town, a different culture or has different interests. Because all of that, all of that, like I said, we're guilty of Day to day, all of that is partiality. And if that is something that you truly, truly live in and practice and you're being convicted of that, if that is you, God is calling you out through his word. This is not me speaking. That's his word. And if that's true, if that's us, but even us day to day that do that in small senses, what a wasted opportunity to show God's love. By investing in people equally. Because you don't see them on a superficial external basis. But rather as Christ sees them. As loved and precious. Equally a sinner and equally need of Christ. That's how we should view one another. And it is impossible to show partiality. And show the love of Christ. At the same time. They cannot coexist. However. We are guilty, all of us, of partiality, like I talked about at one time or another. But the main point in this text is teaching how to not show partiality. And how do you do that? Well, we see here the word isn't just condemning and not providing the solution. The solution in the main point of this text is to be doers of the law by following the example of Christ and humbly striving to love God with all your heart and your neighbors impartially. So how do you not be partial, show impartiality? Be doers of the word. Strive first to seek inwardly. God, search my own heart. Be doers of the word and follow Christ. We all must look internally and realize we are guilty of breaking the whole law. And I hope we've each done that. And be humbled with the abundant mercy Jesus offers us. And then let that overflow and influence the way we live and treat others. Now, if that realization and humility from the Spirit has not happened, man, I pray that it does for you. I know your teachers are praying that it does for you. I hope your friends are praying for you because that is loving one another. Because we all need Christ, both the believer and the unbeliever, equally daily. Let's pray. God, you are good, and I thank you for who you are.
I thank you just for the opportunity to come back to Nebraska Christian. I thank you for the ministry happening here and what you're doing here. Lord, I pray that you continue to grow it and bless it. I pray for each one of these students, Lord, that they would be humbled and continue, or for the first time, truly follow you and be doers of the word. Realize everything in and of this world is not eternal. It's fickle and it fades, but Christ, the word, is eternal. So, Lord, I pray that each one of us resolve to be doers of the word through sanctification that comes in you. God, humble us all. Search our hearts and reveal to us our sin. God, you are a good and loving Father, and we thank you for that. We thank you most of all for Christ who came, took on flesh, so that he may take our iniquity, our punishment, so that us who believe in that could be covered by his blood. Covered by his blood. We're grateful and thankful for that. God, you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.